afternoon, church. Hi. <laughs> so, yeah, this is a, it's like an, obviously a privilege for me. And um, I, was telling, I was sharing with my wife, um, and I was telling her, just like, what? Um, how am I going to kind of introduce what I want to share today? And, um, yeah, I had, a, I had actually a pretty tough week. Um, like Tony said, I'm quite busy. Like, after financial year end, like, things just picks up for us in our industry. So, praise God that we've been one of the um, luckier or blessed um, guys. Um, our company, we've been quite blessed. We've been very busy through, throughout lockdown. So, yeah, we praise God for that. So, I had a really busy week, but I also had quite a tough week. So on Wednesday, I got hit with a cold. I'm like just out of nowhere, head cold, got a cold. And I'm like, okay, now I'm going to work from home Thursday to kind of recover so that I don't worm my way out of this. And then anyway, so Friday, I'm at Jethro's place and we're kind of bouncing ideas off him. And then out of nowhere, I get hit with a tummy bug. Like out of nowhere, I'm like, dude, I need your toilet. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, what? Yeah, so I was like, it's the milk dot, but none of them got sick, so I'm the only one. And so I was like, you know, I felt like it's kind of like an attack of the enemy, um, that it's like he didn't want me to share this message, and I could have kind of found a way to worm myself out of it. And then Jethro shared something with me, and he said to me that maybe God wants you to be weak so that you don't rely on your own strength. And that reason kind of like really got to me, and I thought, that is the reason. God wants me to be weak so that I'm not relying upon me when I share this. And um, like talking about prepping, uh, <laughs> prepping, you know, my wife is like my biggest supporter, but she's my biggest critic. And she was like, um, so I shared this message with her, like I'm pre- like I prepare with her, and I prepared with Jethro yesterday, yesterday. And so I'm sharing with her, and she's like, you know, you're one of those people. If I see you in the mall, I'll walk the other way around because you talk too much. I was like, like, this is my wife, dude, come on. (laughs) Yeah, and and another thing she criticized me, she's like, and now don't stand like this again. I was like, (laughs) like, come on, man. (laughs) So so yeah, I don't know when I did that. So next time if I stand like this, just please, um, yeah, give me a heads up. (laughs) And so, yeah, um, a message that I want to share on today, it's, it's, Something that I think the Lord has really been ministering. It's something that's very dear to my heart. I want to speak on, on sexual temptation. And now, <laughs> I know this is it's my first time getting to share um, like a message, a sermon. And I probably chose the hardest topic to speak about because this is kind of one of those topics that's kind of become taboo in the church because nobody wants to speak about it. And a lot of people is ashamed of saying, I'm st- I've struggled with sexual, with lust, and with temptation, and all those things. And I'm one of those people. There's once upon a time in my life that I struggled tremendously with lust. Um, like, if I could give you perspective on that, if I were to invite all the women I slept with into this place, we'd need some more chairs to fill up. And I'm not saying that out of pride or a joke. I, I'm sharing that to make you understand that I terribly struggled with this. So I was a drug addict also at one point in my life, but I'll tell you, drug addiction has nothing on sex addiction. It has absolutely nothing on it. I was, a, I was on drugs on took for many years, but this thing was something that I struggled with seriously. And when I got saved, I didn't even know that sex outside of marriage was a sin. I thought sexual immorality is like having loose women, like side chicks and things like that. So that was my understanding. So one day... I was in church and the pastor preached about what sexual immorality is. That it's all sex outside of marriage. That includes pornography, masturbation. That's all sex outside the marriage of a man and a woman. And then everything changed for me because now I need to stop because I'm engaged to um, my now wife. I'm engaged to her and I, I'm, we've already got a child outside of marriage. And so my struggle started. And I was desperate. I was crying before God because I was falling. I was desperately struggling. And I was looking for a way to overcome this. And my life really changed one day when I came across Proverbs 7. And that's the message that I want to share on is, is, is in Proverbs 7. And my heart really behind this is not that I would shame anybody, but also for you to come to that place that you won't be ashamed about this, that you'd also come to, to share with people. Because my heart is that we would be our brothers and our sisters keepers. So there's... A devotion that I shared a while ago on 1 John um, chapter 3. 
So he says that the children of God are manifest in a certain way by the way they love each other, but the children of the devil are not. So he then says we shouldn't be like Cain. And the one thing that Cain said was, am I my brother's keeper? But the thing is this, that God has called us to be our brothers and our sisters' keepers. And so Proverbs 7, to kind of just give you just an overview of my, my understanding of what I'm looking at and how I'm dissecting this passage is, this is a letter from Solomon, a man that really struggled with lust. I mean, this man had a thousand women at one time. You Hefner would be embarrassed to spend with, 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 with King Solomon. And so this is a man that's speaking from experience, right? And he's writing to his sons a letter and explaining to them how the spirit operates. And so if I were to break this into three, the first part he says, like, you follow this way and this will keep you from the spirit, the spirit of lust. Then the middle part would really be how the spirit operates. Now I know that I'm not going to cover each and every way that the spirit operates in the world, but there's some very good tips I think we can follow from there. And then the last part is really the consequences of this. So I'm trying to go verse for verse, so, so bear with me. I, I said I am a bit weak, so I feel a little dry. So if I, I've been drinking energy because of this tummy thing. So yeah, I'm going to just pray for us before we start, and then we can, we can jump into it. Yeah, Father in heaven, I want to thank you, Lord, for this opportunity. And I thank you, Lord, that you are for us, and you are for me, Lord. And, and I just want to invite you into this place, Holy Spirit. I want to pray, Lord, that this wouldn't be my words, Lord, that I speak, but it would be your words, Lord. That, Lord, that your word would cut hearts today, Lord. That you would pour your spirit even out upon us, Lord, in a way that we haven't experienced before. And I pray, Lord, that today we would see people delivered, Lord. That people would come, Lord, and not be ashamed of what they are struggling with. But, Lord, that they would heal themselves to you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's go. So I'm not going to start off at verse 1. I'm going to come back to verse 1 to 5 at the end. We'll start off at verse 6 to verse 9. So Solomon says, For at my window of my house I looked at, through the lattice, and I saw among the simple, I perceived among the youths, a man devoid of understanding, passing along the street near a corner. And he took the path to a house in the twilight, in the evening, in the black, and in the dark night. And so my first thoughts when I read this few verses, I thought to myself is this, that this guy's kind of put himself in the wrong place at the wrong time. Or kind of the flip side is that he's opened him up to be in a place that he shouldn't really be. But then something struck me out of this passage. He says that it's a man devoid of understanding. And I was curious. It got me curious. I was wondering how old was this guy? And I started doing some research on the word, on the word yutz, and it's this Hebrew word, bain. I might be pronouncing it incorrectly, but this word doesn't only refer to a teenager or somebody that started puberty, but the Bible uses this word for little boys and girls as well. So I'm not for one moment saying that this is a five-year-old boy falling in here. But the one thing that really struck me is that this spirit, the spirit of lust, influences our children from a very young age. And so the thing is, the Bible says that you should train up a child when they are young so that when they are old, they would not depart from it. But now what this spirit does, the devil knows the Bible better than what we know the Bible. And so what he does is from a very young age, he starts to groom us by the content that we are consuming, whether it's YouTube or the cartoons or, or all the things that our children consume from a very young age. And so if you took a moment to just take note of the content that your children is watching, you'd be shocked to see what you found. You know, if as a parent, I would actually encourage you to do this, to just even go and research like subliminal sexual references hidden in cartoons. You'd be absolutely shocked to see what you find in there. All the cartoons from Bambi to The Lion King is filled with sexual references and sexual imagery. Um, that our children, our six-year-olds, our three-year-olds, our little babies are watching. You know, I, I came across something one day that um, really upset me. Uh, my son, he loves watching YouTube, so he watches like Ryan's World, and one of his favorite things to watch is Spider-Man. And so the algorithm on YouTube, what it will do is it will just constantly feed him the things that he's looking for, like Spider-Man. So this one day in particular, 
Um, he was watching this Spider-Man video. This may be just a couple of seconds, not even a minute long, um, of this character called Miles Morales. And there's another Spider-Man, which is a woman called Gwen Spider. So she comes into this room and he's busy looking at this magazine or he's drawn something in this book, at least. It's not a magazine. And then she grabs it from him and she opens up the book. And there's this provocative drawing of a woman where you can see absolutely everything and she's bent over. Now, this is the content that my six-year-old was watching. And the algorithm on YouTube found it fit to feed him this content. I ended up blocking that channel. And one day I came to work and I just like kind of was trying to filter out my YouTube. And I ended up blocking over 10 channels because the algorithm keeps throwing the same thing over and over to my son. Now, if you think that's shocking, I opened up a, a TikTok account for Zinedine. And so I opened it up in his name and I'd post like these um, dancing videos of him. And sometimes we'd make like these funny videos and stuff like that. So one day I was like scrolling through the timeline. And what I found was nauseating. I came across porn stars. There's women like twerking, dressed inappropriately, half naked women doing all kinds of funny stuff. There's even women um, that's doing all kinds of um, like sex education stuff on TikTok. And this is the stuff that the algorithm is throwing out to my son. So now normally the algorithm feeds you just the things that you are looking for. But in TikTok's algorithm in particular, it doesn't work like that. It feeds you just what it wants to. So my six-year-old, I thank God that he doesn't have access to scrolling through TikTok because I held the account on my phone. You'd have came across all this inappropriate stuff. So as a parent, I would really strongly warn you as parents. Maybe I, ref I phrased that incorrectly. What I was mean meaning to say is that I, I want to encourage you as a parent. Please take note of the content that you are watching. The spirit banks on the fact that you are not taking note of the things they are feeding. We think it's all innocent, but it's not innocent. There's a lot of sexual references in there. Look what, what he says here. Solomon says here that it was a man devoid of understanding. Most of the time, our children don't understand. They have no understanding of us. And this spirit is teaching them through the content and the cartoons that they are watching. So my encouragement again is, please take note of it. Please Teach your children good values on biblical principles and sex. And I'm not saying teach your five-year-old and six-year-old this. Guard them from the things you can guard them. But your older children, you should be teaching them on biblical principles on sex. Don't allow the world to teach them. So moving on to verse 10. And they met a woman. There a woman met him with a tie of a harlot and of a crafty art. I found it so profound that Solomon describes what she's dressed like because one of the ways the spirit influences us and seduces us is by dress code. And now this is for men more so than for women. And I spoke to Tony one day and we, we, we discussed something and he says that men are attracted or seduced by what they see and women are um, attracted by what they hear. And now I do know that women can also be seduced by the way a man appears. But this is something much more so for men than it is for women. Because we are programmed wide just a little bit differently to one another. And one of the biggest stumbling blocks to men is the over-sexualized dress code of women. We are living a world that's really influences dress code and it's become such a big problem even in the church today. I made a post about um, this, just this very thing, uh, a couple of years ago, and I was so attacked over this post. I like had people that wasn't even on my Facebook. I didn't even have them as friends coming um, into my, uh, my inbox and attacking me with all kinds of accusations. And so how can I call myself a Christian telling women how to dress? And so the post that I made was, the gist of my post was that you shouldn't become a stumbling block to your brother and your sister. And I spoke about Balaam as the stumbling block prophet and how God had held him accountable for becoming a stumbling block for the children of Israel. And what I also mentioned in this post was that how 
the way you dress symbolize things over um over the over history like over the course of history and um, people would dress in sackcloth when they were in a time of repentance or in mourning and royalty they dressed in a certain manner which showed that they were royalty or even the the tax collectors they were would dressed in wealthy attire and you would know they were tax collectors by just by the way they were dressed and and obviously the very obvious thing is also that harlots prostitutes they were dressed in a certain way by which you can identify them and even in today's world they are still dressed by a certain way um, um that you can identify them but the one thing the bible also describes for us is how the godly women of old were dressed that they dressed and clothed themselves in humility and that was pleasing to god and so the one thing that i don't want to do today is i don't want to tell you as women that you should dress as um as like an old lady this was a long dress and all that kind of stuff i'm not going to do that but the thing that i would really tell you today is or or challenge you on is ask yourself this question are you becoming a stumbling block to your brother or even for the men are you becoming a stumbling block to your sister because if you are then you are sinning against them and you are sinning against god now there is the truth of that god will hold the person that last accountable but god will also hold you the person that's becoming a stumbling block accountable as well verse 11 to 12 she was loud and rebellious and the feet would not stay down at times she was outside at times in the open square lurking at every corner the thing about this word is that its influence is everywhere and it's absolutely rampant in our world today probably now more so than it's ever been at any other time that's my opinion because what i can see in our culture today is that the normative thing is sex outside of marriage it's become the normal and it's such a unbiblical counterbiblical view and that's what the spirit's done it's sunk its grip into our culture in a way that we've probably never seen before and what this um spirit does is it uses various platforms um to bring across its message and to influence our perspective so it uses tv and music and social media cell phones and porn and, and billboards and magazines and all these various platforms and all they do is they all speak about the very same thing that sex outside of marriage is a good thing and what it also does is it it paints this very ugly picture of, of what being a virgin is so a lot of these movies and things um like one movie in particular that i remember as as a young man growing up that i loved watching was american pie and in this movie more so than others it used to paint this very bad picture of what a virgin was so the guys there was always this group of guys and they were virgins and they were kind of these nerds and so the end game or end goal for these guys was always to lose their virginity and most likely it was like either on prom or before prom or I'm at the after party that type of thing. And so it paints like this very ugly picture and when they lose their virginity they then become um like these cool guys. And so for me I remember as a young man growing up how this had influenced my perspective. And so I'd always like kind of thought of the night of my matric ball would be a night I needed to have sex with with a girl. And so you see how this the spirit has manipulated and influenced us because I know this really um was something that kind of was in my mind growing up and just to emphasize on the statistics um, or emphasize on its influence at least i've got some statistics to just show you how the spirit has rampaged our world so i've got some american statistics to start off with 95% of americans admit to having sex outside of marriage which means only 5% of people getting married in america are virgins 80% of unmarried young professing christians admit to having sex outside of marriage at least one time in their life despite 76% of them knowing that it was wrong to do that now the reason i used american statistics is because we um as a country and as a people are influenced by the american culture big time or the um big through hollywood obviously and so just to again show you how that influence has infected affected not infected probably infected as well but affected us as a people i've got some scary statistics for south africa so in 2013 stats essay did a study and in that study they found that we had 100,000 pregnant teenagers in that year now if you think that number scary in 2021 during covid and lockdown 
that number went up to 330,000. That's a shocking, shocking increase. And if you think that's number scary, this next number should absolutely shock you. 660 of that number were under the age of 10. That's babies, not 10 years old. Some of them were under 10 years old. That's absolutely shocking. I was just saying earlier in this message that the Spirit is influencing our children from a very, very young age. And here's the numbers to prove it. Another scary statistic is that more than 60% of the children born in South Africa, there was little to no information about the father. Now, there's this law in Section 10 of the Deaths and Births Act that doesn't allow unmarried fathers to be on the birth certificate of the children. So if this statistic is accurate, then that means that more than 60% of the children that is born in South Africa are born outside of marriage. Now church, I want to warn us that we please watch the content that we are consuming. The Spirit is influencing us through all these platforms. So please, my warning again, watch the content that you are consuming. Verse 13 to 14. So she caught him and she kissed him. With an impudent face she said to him, I have peace offerings with me. Today I have paid my vows. So after luring you and seducing you with all its influences, now what the Spirit wants to do is, to convince you that you can just make right with God afterwards. Or in other words, after you commit this sin, you can just repent. Let me warn you today, church, that this is deception out of the pit of hell. Paul says this, that if grace abounds, should sin abound. And he says, God forbid, I speak like a man. In fact, he's actually ashamed to even say this. And he says, God forbid, I'm speaking like a man. Let me warn you today, church, if our attitude is this, that we can commit sexual sin and just repent there afterwards, let me warn you today that hell is on the tip of your lips. You can probably taste hell on your lips if that's the kind of attitude you have. If you think that's strong words that I have, listen to what the Bible says. Hebrews 10 verse 26 to 29 says this, that if we deliberately keep on sinning after we receive the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice is left for sins, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and a raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. And anyone who has rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think someone deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot? counting the blood of the covenant by which you are sanctified a common thing and insulting the spirit of grace. Church, there is this truth that there is a place for repentance because people do fall, sin of sin, fall short of sin. But again, I want to say this. If our attitude is that we can commit the sin and just repent afterwards, we're on the pathway to our Verse 15 to 17. So I came out to meet you, diligently to seek your face, and I found you. I've spread my bed with tapestry, colored coverings of Egyptian linen, and I've perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let us take our fill of love until the morning, and let us delight ourselves with love. So after convincing you that it's okay, you can commit the sin and repent, now what the Spirit is trying to do is, to make you feel desired and loved. Look what it says here. She's diligently come out to seek your face. I've come here specifically for you. Makes you feel desired. I wonder sometimes how many marriages or people has fallen into adultery for this very reason. Because another man or another woman has made your spouse feel more desired than what you have made them feel. I've learned over... Over the years, as, as a man, when I was, um, before I got saved, I'm hard to deceive women by just that, to make them feel desired, to say just the right words, and even throwing out there the I love you card, I'm all to get into their pants. 
but that is deception just like this the spirit deceives you by making you feel desired and making you feel loved but the thing about it is it's not love it paints a picture of love but it's everything contrary to love first corinthians 13 verse 4 to 8 tells us what love is it says love is patient love is kind it does not envy it does not boast it's not proud it does not dishonor others it's not self-seeking it's not easily angered keeps no record of wrongdoings and love does not delight in evil but rejoices in the truth and it always protects it always trusts it always hopes and always perseveres but this spirit is not so it's contrary to love it's not patient it will not wait until marriage it is envious it wants everything it shouldn't have it's boastful and it's proud it will dishonor you and it will dishonor God. And it does delight in evil. It loves evil, but it hates the truth. It will not protect you. It will hurt you. It will damage you. Church, my warning to you today is, and especially for the young unmarried people, if your boyfriend or your girlfriend says they love you, but they want to have sex before marriage, that's not love. Run away from it. The Bible warns us, flee from sexual immorality. Love will wait. Love is patient. Verse 19 to 20. For my husband is not at home, and he's gone on a long journey, and he's taken a bag of money with him, and he will come home on the appointed day. So after telling you that you can repent, and convincing you that you are desired and loved, now what the Spirit wants to do is to tell you that you're never going to get caught. But let me tell you something, church. The king was watching. The king is always watching. Whatever happens in darkness will be made manifest in the light. God sees absolutely everything. You can think you can hide something from me or you can hide something from your pastors or your friends that keep you accountable. You can hide it from them, but you can hide nothing from God. You can clear your chat history. You can clear your browsing history. You can watch porn when nobody sees. You can even block us from viewing your statuses on WhatsApp and on Facebook. But you can't block it from God. You can't hide it from God. He sees absolutely everything. You know, I always used to tell my wife this. I used to tell her, Sarika, you don't have to worry about me um, cheating on you or anything like that. Because I know that Jesus sees. Church, let that be our attitude always. That Jesus sees. The King always sees. He sees everything. Verse 21 to 27. So with her enticing speech, she caused him to yield. With her flattering lips, she seduced him. And immediately went after her. So after pulling all its stunts, it's influenced you with all its influences. It's convinced you that you can just repent afterwards and may you feel desired and loved. And also has told you that you will not get caught. Now you have fallen in the sin and you've gone after. To verse 22 says, Immediately you went after. As an ox goes to the slaughter, was a fool to the correction of the stocks, till an arrow struck his liver. As a bird hastens to the snare, he did not know what it cost his life. Now therefore listen to me, my children. Pay attention to the words of my mouth. Do not let your heart turn aside her ways. Do not stray into her parts, for she has cast down many wounded, and all were slain by her with strong men. Her house is the highway to hell, descending to the chambers of death. What a strong, strong, strong warning. Church, the Bible warns us about this sin, sexual sin, like no other sin. The Bible says that we should run from it. Flee from sexual immoralities with the exact words. Run from it. The Bible then goes on to tell us that all sin is outside of our bodies. But this sin is sin against our own bodies, which is the temple of the Holy Spirit, which in essence means when we commit sexual sin, we're actually committing idolatry. That's idol worship. Church, I want to tell you this. From what we see in the Bible, God hates sexual sin. God hates sexual immorality. It's something that he despises. 
And it's something that we should take seriously because there are serious consequences to the sin. Whenever the Bible warns us about the unrighteous that will not inherit the kingdom of God, sexual immorality is mentioned. Church, the sexual immoral will not inherit the kingdom of God. There's serious consequences, church. Eternally and on the side of eternity. An example in the Bible of how somebody's life got affected on this side of eternity is King David. So when King David sinned with Bathsheba, one of the immediate consequences was that he had lost that baby. But the consequences didn't just affect him. It actually affected his children after him and his bloodline after him. One of his sons ended up lusting after his daughter and raped that daughter. Another son ended up killing that son for what he had done. King Solomon, the person that we're actually reading from, I just mentioned earlier, he had a thousand women at one time in his life. They, in fact, actually turned his heart off the idols, which eventually would actually split the kingdom because of his idolatry. Church, the sin has serious consequences. And if you think this only happened in the Bible, I saw this happen in my family line. I saw this to my, happen to my father and my father's father before him. They had children out of wedlock from different women. My dad has only had four children inside his marriage, but we'll be probably about 12 brothers and sisters that I know of. I saw this happen to my brothers and all my brothers after my dad. I've got one brother that's got 10 children. I've got another brother that's got multiple children from different women. I don't even know how many children. If we were to invite all our grandchildren to our house, we wouldn't have place in the house. All my brothers, we all went down this path. We had multiple sexual partners. And it never stopped with us. It even went unto my brother's children. I've got two brothers that's grandparents. The grandparents at such a young age. And not only are they grandparents, their children has children with more than one partner. They've got multiple children. Church, the sin will affect you generationally. This isn't just something that happened in the Bible. I've seen this in my family, in my bloodline. I've seen this. There are serious consequences to this. And there's even more things that this thing will affect you. It will make you depressed. It will cause soul tides. It will make it start addictions, STDs, and much, much more. Church, this is a strong warning for us that we would flee from sexual immorality. It's not, not worth it. Not at all. Run from a church. I've seen the effects of, of this sin in my family, like I just explained, and in my life. I've seen how it affected my life and the multiple sexual partners that I had. And I lived a, a, a very immoral life. A life deserving of hell. But you know, church, there is good news. There's good news that Jesus Christ saves. That he saves sinners like me and like you. And if you were just like me and if your family was just like my family, the good news for you today is that Jesus is able to set you free from this sin and is able to forgive you and separate your sins as far as the east is from the west. But now the thing is this, that you are Christian today and you've accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior and He has forgiven you from the sin, but you're struggling. You've been tempted and you you even feel as if you keep slipping into it. And you might even be here today and you are falling to the sin. What do you do now? What can I do? I'm going to come back to verse 1 to 5. Solomon says this. He says, My son, keep my words and treasure my commands within you. Keep my commands and live. And my law is the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, you're my sister, and call understanding your nearest kin, that they may keep you from the immoral woman, from the seductress who flatters with our words. Church, doesn't this just look like intimacy to you? If I'm right, and what Solomon is in fact saying here is that it's intimacy with God that will keep you from the seductress that flatters with the words, from the immoral woman, or in other words, the spirit of lust. 
that is intimacy with him. Look what he says here. He says that you should treasure God's commands within you. That God's word should be like treasure to you. That intimacy with God should be of something of great value to you. That you should make his word or his law the apple of your eyes. That you should write it on the tablet of your heart. That you should bind it upon your fingers. That it should be something that you are handling regularly. That intimacy with God should be of such a high priority to you. That it would actually be something that you become dependent upon. There is something that you cannot go without. I've often heard people in the world speak about knowing God and having a relationship with God. But from looking at the fruits that their lives produce, I have to ask myself, what does this intimacy or this relationship look like? If it does look like a checkbox that I've read a few verses this morning and I tick off that box. And I've said a short prayer and I tick off this box. And there I get going. Church, that's not the intimacy that Solomon is talking about here. The intimacy that he is talking about here is something that you would value so highly. That it would be something that you are so dependent upon that you cannot go without it. I've often said to friends this, that you charge your phone in the morning because your battery is low. You'll make sure your phone is charged at least. Why are you not recharging your spiritual life? By walking in close intimacy with God. Church's intimacy with God that will keep you from the spirit of lust. I spoke to Jethro about something, about this very thing, not something. This very thing I spoke to Jethro and he made this very profound comment. He said that God had created us for intimacy, but it's for intimacy with him. And if you are not walking in intimacy with God, that you will walk in intimacy with your flesh. So if you are not feeding and consuming upon the things of God, in fact, what you are going to do is you're going to feed on the things of your flesh. There's this meme that goes around where there's this man or a silhouette of a man and then there's this puzzle-sized hole where his heart is. And the only thing that can truly fill that hole is a relationship with Jesus Christ. And in our lives, what we try to accomplish is filling this hole with everything other than Jesus. But intimacy with Him is the very thing that we need. Look what Paul says. He says that in Galatians 5 or 6, he says that if you walk according to the Spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Jesus says that He is the light of the world, that whoever walks with Him will not walk in darkness, but will walk in the light of life. That is two promises that if we are walking in intimacy with him, that he's the one that will make us victorious over the things that we struggle, and in particular, the spirit of lust. But the thing is this, church, that you can't walk in the spirit, right, if you are not walking in intimacy. And intimacy is not possible if you are not consuming upon the things of the Spirit. Church, you have to ask yourself this question. What is it that you are consuming on? What are you feeding yourself on? Are you feeding yourself on all these things that we had just discussed that the Spirit is influencing us with? Or are you consuming upon the intimate things of God? Spending time in His Word, spending time with other believers, Constantly spending time in prayer without ceasing, valuing an intimacy with God so highly. Church, what are you consuming upon? You know, I find it so profound that Solomon says this. He says that God's word should be like the apple of your eye. And the thing that I find profound is that he uses the analogy of the eye here. Because Jesus says something very profound to us in, in the Gospels is that your eye is the window to the soul. That if your eye is full of darkness, that your body will be full of darkness. But if your eye is full of light, your body will be full of light. So there's two truths in this church. Is that you can either consume the things of the flesh or you can consume the things of the spirit. 
What are you consuming? I ask you this question again. What are you consuming upon? Look what James says. He says that when you are tempted, you are drawn away by the lust that is in your own flesh. And then Paul goes on in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 10 verse 13, to say that God will not allow you to be tempted by beyond what you can bear. But with all temptation, there's a room for escape. You know what is the scary truth out of those two verses? Is that when you are falling in this sin, it's that you actually chose to do it. That you actually enjoy doing it. And it's that you are consuming your flesh. You are feeding your flesh at least. And consuming upon the things of the flesh. We are told in the Bible that we should make no provision for our flesh. That in fact we should kill the flesh. We should mortify our members of the flesh. Which one of them is sexual immorality. Church again, I put this challenge to you. What, did, what are you consuming? What is it that you are consuming upon? I know we often speak about walking the transformed life. We love quoting Romans 12 verse 2. Don't be conformed to the pattern of the world or the influences of the world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. We love those verses. It's like a bumper sticker verse for Christians, right? But you know, hidden in this verse, is something so profound and something so powerful that what you consume is so vital and important. This word, at least this word transform, we get this word from the Greek word metamorpho, where we get our English word metamorphosis from. And in nature, the probably the most common um, or the most popular metamorphosis that we know of is where the caterpillar changes into the butterfly. Now, there's something very important in the process that happens. When this caterpillar is born, he's got the single mindset is to feed upon the things that is needed for him to get into the cocoon, which is leaves and green things, right? So he's got this one-track mindset. All he wants to do is consume enough so that he can get himself into this cocoon. Once he's in this cocoon, his digestive juices now kicks in. And it destroys his body completely. That in fact this caterpillar dies in that cocoon. And the whole new creature which is the butterfly comes out of that. But the thing that feeds the digestive system or that fuels the digestive system is the things that he had consumed upon. Okay in church there's this importance upon what we consume. You have to ask yourself and look at yourself and evaluate what you are consuming upon. You have to kill the flesh, church. Make no provision for it. But you cannot do this on your own. That's why we walk closely and intimately with Jesus Christ. In verse 4, Solomon says this, that we should say to wisdom that you are my sister and understanding our nearest kin. What is the thing that we know about wisdom? Proverbs 9 says, 9 verse 10 says this to us, that it's the fear of God or the fear of the Lord that is the beginning of wisdom. Church, we need the fear of the Lord because it's the fear of the Lord that will keep us from sin. It's the fear of the Lord that we need to grow in. You know, another name for the Holy Spirit in Isaiah chapter 11 is the spirit of the fear of the Lord. I remember listening to a sermon from Zach Poonin on the fear of God. And he makes this very profound statement that really stuck to me. He says that the first mention of the fear of the Lord or the fear of God, that phrase, the very first mention of it is in Genesis 20, where Abram lies to Abimelech. So Abram um, goes there and um, he tells Sarah to pretend that, he's, that she's his sister and he's taken her and then God appears to Abimelech in a dream. And he goes to him and he's angry at him and he asks him, why did you lie to me? And Abram responds and he says this. I said to myself, there is surely no fear of God in this place and they will kill me because of my wife. And so then Zach Poonin goes on and he, he says that he pondered upon this. He asked himself, why is, it, is this the first time that the fear of the Lord appears in scripture? 
And he says, as he meditated upon it and as he inquired of God, that God had spoken to him and said to him, that God tests to see whether man has the fear of God in no other area as much as in sexual temptation. Church, I'm going to say this again. We need the fear of the Lord. We need to grow in the fear of the Lord. There's another beautiful example in the Old Testament, the account of Joseph and Potiphar's wife. We know this account very well. Joseph, um, Potiphar's wife tries to take Joseph and have sex with him, and he runs away from her. He flees from her. And he says this phrase, he, he speaks about how can ye commit this horrendous sin against God? Church, this is the very thing we need to do. We need to constantly be asking ourselves, how can I do this? How can I sin against a holy, righteous God that gave his only son for me? Church, we need to grow in the fear of the Lord. And the thing is this, that we can grow in the fear of God. Deuteronomy 17, Deuteronomy 17, sorry. There's this instruction to the kings that they must write down God's word or his laws and that they must read it every single day. And the reason for this is that they may grow in reverence of God, that they may grow in the fear of God. Church, we are called a royal priesthood in the New Testament. If this was something relevant for them as kings, then this is something relevant for us right now that we may learn to revere God, that we may constantly consume upon the things of God, that we may consume upon His Word, that we may grow in reverence of Him. You know, a king writes Psalm 119, and there's a couple of verses that I just want to quote in there that is so profound. One of them is where David says that he's hidden God's Word in his heart, that he might not sin against Him. And he says that how can a young man cleanse his way by taking heed unto your word? And then he says something that I absolutely love. He says, my flesh trembles in awe of you. Church, I'll say this again. I've probably said this so many times. We need the fear of God. We need to grow in the fear of the Lord. Because it's the fear of the Lord that will keep us from this thing. I want to just close in this. When I struggled with this sin, and I tremendously struggled, I had, I don't even know how many women in my life. So this was something that was such a thorn in my flesh when I came to know the Lord. I took all of these things and I made it literal to me. I applied it to my life. Whenever I was tempted into sexual temptation, I responded by hiding God's word into my heart. I responded to this temptation by saying, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I don't need this thing because God will sustain me. I did what Jesus did whenever he was tempted by the enemy. He responded with scripture. I trained my eyes to watch the things that I'm consuming. I stopped watching certain things on TV. Stopped listening to certain music. I even started doing a thing that where in the past what I used to do is when I was driving, I would check out the woman from behind if she was dressed with tight clothing. But what I did was, whenever I saw a woman dressed in a funny way, I would look the other way. And I still do this until today. I constantly reminded myself of the fear of God. I constantly told myself, how can I do this horrendous thing against God? How can I sin against Him by doing this thing? And you know, church, God had set me free. The first time in my life, I've been faithful to one woman. This is a huge accomplishment to me. for me. I'd never been faithful to anybody. And it's not that I accomplished something, but that Jesus accomplished something in me. I've been set free from porn addiction. I've never been addicted to porn again. I've been set free from being immoral, masturbating, lusting, all those things. And it's not that temptation stopped. Temptation continues even now. But I took God's word. I hid it in my heart. I trained my eyes. I watched what I consumed. I constantly want to grow in the fear of God. And church, if God can set me free, he can do that for you. He is able and more than capable. I want to close just with this. 
I want to challenge you today. If you are listening to me, if you are here today and you are struggling with this sin, and if you are falling in this sin, the sin is often something that is hidden. Nobody knows, but God knows. God sees it. If that's you today, I want to call you to respond in repentance, to respond and draw close to God, draw close to Him in intimacy, that He can do for you what He's done for me. I want to call you to draw the line and say this far and no further. And I said in the beginning of this message that we are to be our brothers and our sisters keepers. There's some of you here listening to this today. This is not a problem for you. You don't struggle with sexual temptation or lust. This has never been an issue for you. And even for you that's here today, God has set you free. You're strong in this now. I want to call you today to be your brother and sister's keeper, that you become their accountability partners, that you come and walk alongside them and encourage them and strengthen them and pray for them. Church, I want to close and I want to ask you to respond. And just for those that, you know, the thing about the sin is when, when somebody preaches a message on anger or, or anything else, when they do an altar call, people respond. But for this thing, people are ashamed to respond. Church, I'm going to tell you this. If you have a strong desire to be set free from this, you have no need to be ashamed. We are taught that Jesus took our shame. Jesus is the one that can remove our shame. So I want to call you today to be bold and come publicly repent even. Come and walk with somebody. Allow somebody to become your accountability partner. I'm going to close with prayer and just trust that the Lord would do a mighty work in our lives. Our Father in heaven, I want to thank you that Today, this isn't my words, but this is your words. And that is your word that is sharper than any two-edged sword. I pray, Lord, would you cut to hearts today, to whoever listens to this message, that, Lord, that you would minister to them, that you would minister to them in such a powerful way. And, Lord, those hearing this message today that wants to repent and that feel so weak that they don't even know, they think they cannot do this. Lord, I pray that you would show them that you are able. When we are weak, it's you that is strong. I pray, Lord, even for those that will be their brothers and sisters keepers, would you come and stir in their hearts today, that they would even become that accountability partners, that they would be as you have designed us to be, a body of believers that would love and encourage one another. Lord, I pray for the outpouring of your spirit, that you would minister to your people. Lord, it mustn't be my words, Lord, that touches hearts, but your words, Lord. My testimony is something that you have done, Lord. It's not something I accomplished on my own. And I pray, Lord, that we would hear stories of victory, that you would do the same for the people struggling with us today. In Jesus' name, amen.